and uh, met them in the lobby a little while ago, told him they traveled a long ways to be in church with us today, all the way from the country of Sweden. And while they're here, they decided to visit their daughter, who's been here as a foreign exchange student, but they really came to be in church. So I'm teasing. Grateful to have you guys. Thank you. It's an honor. All the way from the wonderful country of Sweden. Welcome. Glad you're here. Amen. Worship began in eternity. It is recorded that at the dawn of creation, the sons of God shouted for joy in an act of worship in Job chapter 38 and verse 7. Across that long bridge called time that spans the chasm between the eternity which was and the eternity which is to come, men everywhere have been commanded to worship. Everybody say worship. The Old and New Testaments both loudly proclaim the call to worship. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, the Bible said, Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Today, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and I want to present to you the highest form of celebration that God has enabled us to demonstrate and that is worship. You can smile about the resurrection. You can do your Easter dinners, your Easter family get-togethers, but there's not a greater way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ than through worship. Everybody say worship. Thank the Lord. Today we celebrate. Everybody say celebrate. We've come to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but not just lunch after church and not around an Easter egg hunt and a chocolate bunny rabbit, but we've come to celebrate through the medium of worship. Praise the Lord. It's going to be a different Easter message today. But I want to nudge every one of us. It doesn't matter what your background is, where you've been, what you've done, what your name is, what your parents are like, or anything like that. We all have a God-given right to worship because He resurrected. Let's clap our hands to the Lord today. The psalmist said, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Matthew records the commandment to worship the Lord thy God. John quoted at the conversation of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Uh, he quoted the words of Jesus where Jesus rephrased the Old Testament verse just a little bit. Uh, when he told the woman, excuse me, he told the woman that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth, worship in the plan of God is perpetual. And Jesus ordered three divine imperatives. In John chapter 3, verse 7, he gave us the must of the new birth. In John chapter 9, he gave us the must of good works. In John chapter 4, he gave to us the must of worship. Only worship affords us the element of continuity. We have the opportunity to be born again and to work the works of Him that sent us only while we're creatures of time. 
But how blessed to know that while we were, while our worship begins here, it does not end here. And it will never end, period. Praise the Lord. The decision to worship, like any other decision in life, is based on three things. Number one, it's intellect. Number two is emotion. And number three is volition or choice. That is what I think about it, how I feel about it, and what I do about it. The act of worship stands on the tripod of these three faculties of the individual. The law of worship is in the heart, placed there by God himself. But the choice of what or whom to worship rests totally with the individual. Worship is an intellectual act, but it's not intellect alone. Of the seven attributes of the Spirit mentioned in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2, five of those attributes of God can be classified as intellectual, where only the other two can be classified as emotional. It seems that God is pleased for us to think upon Him and to intellectually approach Him. Christ Himself rephrased the Old Testament truth when He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. And everybody said amen. There is a mental attitude of worship that cannot be ignored. There are times when there is fervent desire in our soul to be enraptured in the presence of God like we were just a few moments ago. When our spirit cries to the depths of God's glory and then there is that struggle of bringing our thoughts into captivity in order that the total man, body, soul, and spirit might express his love to Jesus Christ. Was there ever a man more emotional in worship than King David? He danced before the Lord, but he didn't just dance. The Bible said he danced with all of his might. Yet on another occasion, he simply came into the presence. And the Bible records that he sat. He just simply sat in an act of meditation and waiting and worshiped God. We do not live in a meditative age. And if God has an enemy in this hour, it's that one word called hurry. Our mental attitudes and our intellect must be cleared of all clutter if we are to approach God with an open mind as well as an open heart. The use of mental faculties in worship is most evident in considering the elaborate planning of the Old Testament tabernacle that we refer to as Solomon's temple. By the way, there is no haphazard way to approach God. It must be according to the spiritual protocol of the dispensation. And in moving from law to grace, we also move from the external to the internal when it comes to the order of worship. Today, God is simply not interested in a holy place or holy furniture or a holy temple, but rather He is interested in a holy people with holy hearts. Praise the Lord. With Paul, we join in the chorus and confess that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believe in all things which were written in the law and in the prophets. We are to worship. Worship as we intellectually believe. So may I challenge every person in this building who says, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. Okay, 
Do you worship at the same level of your belief? Can you intellectually wrap your head, your mind around Scripture that teaches us to worship? Inasmuch as God is a spirit, it stands to reason that only the deep emotions of the spirit can touch him. Any man who attempts to think his way through to God or who tries to find God through reason or logic while ignoring the emotional impact will soon reach a dead-end street. The wise man once said, We are not urging you to seek religious excitement for excitement's sake. If it's excitement you're after, let me recommend a ride on a roller coaster. We dare not ignore the faith element in approaching God either. Paul admonished us to feel after the Lord, though He is not very far from any of us. We have that intellectually obtained knowledge that God is not far away, yet there remains an emotional need to feel after Him. Spiritual decisions are based on our own volition or choice, that is our will. And while there are those who have strong willpower, there are also those with equally strong want power. You must of your own sovereign will have a desire to approach and to be touched by God in the act of worship. Someone once said that the man who bases his religion on intellect alone is a formalist. The man who bases his religion alone on emotion alone is a fanatic. But he that bases his religion on volition alone is a fool. Scripturally, it can be ascertained that the Pentecostal mode of worship is an intellectual, emotional, and volitional approach to God. These three are all vitally important ingredients to well-balanced, God-accepted praise. So why do we worship? Why all this commotion? Why all of this presentation? Why all the hours of rehearsal and practice? Why all the effort to put in these just few moments? I'm oftentimes grieved after seeing such presentations as we've seen today. I think it's sad sometimes that you only see it once. There's times that I'd like to rewind the tape and watch it over and over again. But I will have you understand when the woman came with the alabaster box and broke it in the presence of Jesus and the perfume in that box began to escape out of its prison, out of its enclosure, and it permeated the atmosphere. Everyone could smell it. But that breaking of the alabaster box was not meant for everyone in the room. It was actually meant for only one person in the room. It was one single act of worship, and it cost a lot of money to produce that high-value act of worship but it was only for God. God has a unique attribute about Him is that He doesn't have to have an alabaster box broken at His feet over and over and over. That one single act of worship that's done in humility, that's done in sincerity, that's done with transparency by someone who has their head into what they're doing, their heart is into what they're doing, and their will is into what they're doing. So it doesn't matter the cost. It doesn't matter who's there. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I'm here to bring to Jesus a sacrifice 
price of worship. I'm here to give him something of value. And when we present that one thing to him, it can be that one song. It can be that one vision effects presentation. It can be that one children's choir presentation. It can be that phenomenal presentation just done by our praise team. It doesn't matter. It's that one single act of worship. And there's something about it that God will permeate the atmosphere. He reciprocates that aroma of praise with the essence of his presence. What you smell in a spiritual sense in our praise. God makes that into a habitation. He wants to live in our garden of praise and worship. And that is why we do it. Today we celebrate. We celebrate in our highest form of celebration is worship. You can't exceed that level of celebration. We could throw an Easter party this afternoon and break out all the plastic eggs and you could boil the the original chicken egg until it's hard on the inside and you can dye the shell like my mother used to do when we were kids. And we'd dye them different colors. And she'd make a big Easter basket and fill it with these hard-boiled eggs that we were eating on three or four days later. Who cared if they were still good any night? It wasn't relevant. It was an Easter egg. We peeled it and we ate it. I'm still here to testify. But it was filled with candy and all kinds of awesome things. There's nothing wrong with that kind of celebration. We can even come together here at church and we can hear our children sing. We can watch our teenagers act out that awesome, incredible moment when Jesus was crucified then resurrected. We can hear the praise team sing. We can hear anointed speaking. But nothing is more impressive to God than our worship. And the resurrection gives us that power it empowers us to worship God like He likes to be worshipped. I don't want to put anybody on the spot here this morning, but I noticed some, some music and celebration was going on. Lori, she is on her feet right away. And uh, I noticed after a little while she couldn't contain herself and started dancing before the Lord. Some of our fellows did what we very affectionately call a Holy Ghost lap around the church. You know why? If you had known them before they knew Him, then you would understand. These people aren't lunatics. They're not crazy. They're not fanatics. They're engaging that tool, that empowerment that God gave us when he resurrected. And he said, I want you to worship me. That's the whole point is for him to be worshipped. Our relationship with God is not entirely based on him meeting our needs, which he does. And I'm thankful for that. There's people here today that's been healed of cancer. There's people here today that's been healed of back trouble. There's people, I, the list goes on and on. 
There's people here today that's been miraculously blessed financially. You get what I call that mailbox money. It comes air mail from heaven. And God meets the needs. And He blesses. Oh, yes, He does. There's skeptics about that all around us. But I'm a living, breathing witness to God's healing power and His ability to provide divinely to His people. But sometimes we think the only point of God is to meet our needs and to take care of us. Sometimes we think that the only point of God is to comfort us when we're sad and when we're depressed. When originally man was created for only one function. Originally man was only was created for only one purpose. Originally we're on this terra firma called earth right now. And we're here for one reason and for one reason only. And that is to worship God. Not for Him to show off His divine ability when we have need, but for us to recognize His divine ability in our mind, in our heart, and in our choosing and say, Wow! Look at God! All I can do is bow down and worship. We worship God as an act of adoration. And open our hearts and our capacities and prepare our own hearts. Every man was created to worship God. There's a God-shaped blank in all of us. And nothing can feel like that lingering in the presence of Jesus. Someone's already mentioned. But it's a privilege to think that we're not intruders in His throne room. But are actually there by invitation. Praise is such a privilege Here at Grace Church, we dare not waste time in our church services by not taking advantage of His presence. God desires worship. He seeks after it. Was not man created for His fellowship and pleasure? We usually think of worship as blessing only the human participant. But remember the words of David when he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His Holy name. How can a man bless God? Simply by giving Him the praise of our total self, body, soul, and spirit. Worship sustains God, if you will. It is His food and drink. He lives and revels in the praises of His people. One translation says, God lives where His people praise Him. Oftentimes, the degree of God's presence in any service is dependent on how large a habitation of praise we build for Him. In Isaiah 1, 11 and 12, if you'll stand with me this morning, gives us God's feelings towards those who just go through the motion of worship long after it's lost its meaning. We call that lip service. In Isaiah 1.11, God said, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and of fat-fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he-goats. When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? What a startling revelation. Didn't God require sacrifices? Didn't the law demand burnt offerings? Why is it that God condemned them for the very thing 
that he had earlier commanded from them. It's because of the meaningless act of obeisance, which was a stench in his nostrils. And if you follow the verses on down, God condemns them for the very thing for which man was created, and that's worship. Then in verse 17 of the same chapter, we hear the stunning annunciation by God himself. He said, learn to do well. The subject insists that he means for us to learn to worship him correctly. If man was created for his purpose, if God asks for it, if he inhabits it, if it must be according to spirit and truth, then it is imperative that we learn to do it well. So today, we must get the point and understand the reason for his coming, his birth, life, death, and resurrection. It is so that we can be reconciled back to him with the guilt and condemnation of sin obliterated. We have repented and been baptized in the name of Jesus, filled with his spirit. Because of what he did in resurrecting from the dead and because of what we chose to do through our act of repentance, we can celebrate today in worship. So today I'm calling on Grace Church, calling on all of our guests, as much as we teach and preach here at Grace that Christ needs to be the reason for the season and Christmas, so also does Christ need to be the reason of the season when it's Easter. It's not about crawfish boils, and I love that. It's not about Easter baskets, and I love that. It's not about the children dressing up in new clothes, and I love that. These kids up here today were adorable. Ethel, your twins are beautiful. But it doesn't stop there. Somewhere today, in this moment, in this service, somewhere today, we have to have a rendezvous with the presence of God. But be careful when you feel the presence of God not to just go through the motions. He's not interested in meaningless, heartless acts of worship. For Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. All of you. And He wants all of you. So everyone here today was created to fulfill God's plan, and that's to worship. As we prepare to partake in the Lord's Supper, I'd like for everyone here today, everybody, to begin to cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I know for none of us life has been perfect. Well, there may be one or two here today. Generally, life is not really perfect for anybody. There's always things we desire that are seemingly beyond our reach. But the thing that we must have the most is always within reach, and that's God Himself. He's not here today asking for lip service, but He's asking you to take a few moments and break open an alabaster box, figuratively speaking, at His feet. And acknowledge his deity. That's really not too hard for us to do today. I don't want it to be meaningless. I don't even want it to be religious. I want it to be spiritual. I want it to be, I want you to understand it through 
revelation. I want your mind to have a grip on what we're about to do. I want your heart to be into it. And I want you to choose to do it. It's going to be your choice to come forward in just a moment. And there's a little wafer on the top of this. You can peel the first layer of cellophane back and get the wafer. And then in a moment, we'll partake of the fruit of the vine. I, I want everybody to do this, but not just because it's a traditional thing. Not just because it's just something you do on Easter Sunday. But I would to God that everybody here today could feel that sense of celebration. I know the story is 2,000 years old, but the freshness of it is not 2,000 years old. It's as still real today as it did the day it happened. Father, today we... It goes without saying that we always anticipate being in your presence every time we come into this house. God, don't ever let us be a people that take that for granted. It's an honor to be in your presence every time we come together. It's an honor to have fellowship with one another, to have fellowship with you. God, today my heart is in this. The people that have sung, the people that have played instruments, their heart is in this. Their mind is in it. Yeah, we all have plans when this service concludes and you understand that. But at this moment, figuratively speaking, we're going to bring you an alabaster box. And we're going to leave all of it here. We want to just absorb ourselves in your presence. And God, today I hope that you receive our worship and our praise. Not as lip service. Not as something meaningless. But something that's heartfelt. For every man, woman, boy and girl that's in this house today. That has just heard this very simple message on worship. It's a celebration. It's not a drudgery. It's not a routine. And it certainly goes beyond tradition. We don't clap our hands because we were raised to do that. We clap our hands because... We want to entertain your presence with our praise. God, accept our celebration. We're thankful that on the third day, you resurrected. And you came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. So as the people in your house make their way forward in a moment, and God, it's today we remember your sacrifice. We don't stop there. In our minds and hearts, as we recognize and remember your sacrifice that you commanded us to do, we celebrate your resurrection. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask everybody on this side, to my left and to your right, if you would exit all the way to the wall and just come and get the cup. And if you would just stay right here at the front. Everybody that comes first, move all the way over to the middle. You folks, if you'll do the same, exit out towards the wall. And as you come through, as you pass through, come all the way over and make room for everybody. Don't stop. Keep coming. Very good, thank you. We want to make room for everybody. Everyone is welcome to participate. I'm going to ask you to be respectful, be reverent. It's okay to smile. 
It's okay to shake someone's hand, but be reverent and respectful of our atmosphere here today. Y'all good? Y'all can come and fill in the front. Y'all will come fill in the front. Thank the Lord. Y'all can keep coming. Keep coming. There's a long line behind you. Keep coming. So everybody fill in the front. Fill in the front if you will. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. If y'all could keep coming, if y'all keep coming, there's more people behind you. Just come on over. More people behind you. Keep coming. I know this is knocking some of you folks out of your routine of where you stand, but it'll be okay for today. 